about 70 to 80% of the filings in family court and many other courts as well are by people that don't have a lawyer because they can't afford it. Those are the actual statistics in the U.S. right now. You have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. Discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Brought to you by your host, Dorothy Ilson. Hey everyone, my name is Dorothy. I'm your host, and this is episode 30 of the Do Well and Do Good podcast. My guest today is Dave Ahrens. Dave has been working in the legal industry since 2004 and is the CEO of Unbundled Attorney. You'll hear Dave describe in this episode the massive problem that exists today where families simply cannot afford legal representation. This can lead to disastrous consequences, you know, things like families being torn apart. And really, it is a problem that Dave is hoping can be solved through something called unbundled legal services. So basically, Unbundled Attorney works with their network of lawyers to help them provide affordable legal services to these hundreds of thousands of families and clients who otherwise couldn't afford representation. He is making massive waves in the legal industry and is actually in the process of establishing a foundation to fund the creation of the first donation-based unbundled legal clinics in the United States. I'm so excited for you to hear Dave's story and his vision for completely transforming the way that families can access legal services. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dave. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be on a podcast that focuses on businesses and companies that are not only you know doing well as a company, but also focused on giving back and contributing to the communities that they serve. So it's a privilege to be on your show. Thank you so much. Well, I first met you at the Thrive Make Money Matter conference, and you were actually featured on stage for the work you're doing to create this foundation. And I just knew that I had to have you on the show. It's, it's so exciting what you're doing. So Dave, let's take it all the way to the beginning. Could you set the stage for us in terms of you know, what life was like for you growing up and specifically what beliefs about money would you say were ingrained in you? Hmm. Well, I mean, I grew up with a single mom with two kids. So, um, you know, it was coupon shopping. It was finding whatever means necessary in order to get by so that we as her kids could have the same privileges or you know, basic living as, as anyone else. Um, she was really hardworking. She ran her own practice as a therapist, did what she could just to support two grown boys in, uh, in Vancouver and then eventually moved to Santa Barbara, California in the late 90s, which is not uh, a cheap town to live in. So, Grew up appreciating every dollar we had. And certainly when I was first getting going, well, I remember when I needed to get a bicycle for school. I mean, she was always training in us the need to be independent and to take responsibility for whatever it is we wanted to get out of this world and achieve it and get it. So when I was 14, I needed a bicycle for school. And the last two bikes I had just carelessly let get stolen because I didn't lock them up or kind of put them over you know, in places that they shouldn't have. And both of them got stolen. And I was in a 
school that where biking was a big part of their curriculum. So I came to my mom and said, Hey, you know, I, I need another bike for school. And this was, I think in June or July and the school year was going to start in September. Can you get me a bike? And she says, Oh, well, that's great that you need a bike. So how are you going to earn that bike? And I was like, well, what do you mean earn the bike? She says, well, you got to earn it. So, you know, she gave me the idea to, I printed up flyers and, you know, put them in every, all of my neighbor's mailboxes and said, Hey, you know, like, can I, can I do your lawn? Can I weed? I do babysitting. I do painting. I became instantly an expert at all fields, contracting and, and house repair and maintenance and gardening and landscaping at age, I think 13 or 14. So, you know, I started my first job, I think, you know, just helping out with weeding and gardening and these types of things in my neighbor's yards and taking care of local kids and stuff. So, you know, from a very young age, I had to, if I was going to have anything, I had to earn it myself. And I really appreciate those early on lessons. And, that carried into my first jobs and, and then eventually into uh, uh, network marketing and working on the phones and telemarketing in the, when I was 18, 19, and then getting recruited into a company called Prepaid Legal, which offered uh, a legal service plan for folks that were seeking a, a little bit more affordable way to retain an attorney. So that was the beginnings of the legal uh, endeavors from there. So being raised in that way by your mother, would you say that's what inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Was that always a goal of yours? I'm not sure if that was... <laughs> probably not, no. Because <laughs> she was a therapist. She was self-employed and always has been. And so there's, you know, the family story was you need to go to school and you need to become a paralegal or become a lawyer, right? Being an entrepreneur was you know, not considered the most secure approach. You know, I think a lot of my desire to be an entrepreneur comes from my stubbornness about not willing to, being willing to settle for a way in which you earn money that limits your ability to have the freedom to live life according to your goals and the way in which you want to live your lifestyle. And when I was first recruited in network marketing, I think that was part of my initial education was learning. There was more ways to earn money than just being an employee and getting paid more per hour. And that there was this whole world of business ownership you know, taught through originally, my first exposure was Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cashflow Quadrant and some of those early books that you're exposed to when you, you know, join most any network marketing company. And I think it's a good, you know, starting point for young entrepreneurs to get, or young, young individuals per, period, to get a little bit of business training and, and learn, you know, that there are new other pathways, you know, being a business owner or being an investor. And so I got exposed to that when I was 19. I was actually first recruited for a very short period of time in Quickstar, which was uh, an uh, expansion of Amway <laughs> when I was literally the day I turned 18. <laughs> and just, you know, I, I didn't do much in that company, but I did get exposed to a lot of this material. And, and one of the things I got exposed to at that time was the idea of making a sale today or making an investment uh, into building a system today and getting paid for it long-term. The, the idea of residual income. And so that was something that was really attractive to me because I have a lot of passions, one of them being competitive golf. At the time, I was very, very serious about competitive golf and wanting to play professionally and recognize that, you know, if I was going to have any way of taking that seriously, given that golf is a really expensive sport, I was going to have to pay my own way. And residual income seemed like a really attractive way to potentially be able to do that because I could put in a bunch of work for a couple of years, three years, four years, whatever it was, and then eventually continue to get paid for that work you know, on a residual basis. And that would free up the time, free up my time so that I could be doing the things that I really wanted to do and didn't have to constantly be trading time for money and could go out and practice and compete and play 
um, without having to, cl- you know, to to punch the clock for for the man, so to speak. So yeah. um, that was actually probably my my early forays into entrepreneurship was through network marketing and then through some mentors that I was exposed to in uh, the various businesses that would follow, uh, mainly through Prepaid Legal. Yeah, so I definitely want to hear the story of how you went from that first job in the legal industry to founding, uh, co-founding Unbundled Attorney. But first, could you just set the stage for us? You know, what are Unbundled Legal Services, and why are they so important? Yeah, so uh, you can contrast it with the the traditional way that a lawyer, well, you, the way you would retain an attorney, right? So if you were if you had a child custody issue, or you needed to file for divorce, or you wanted to um, obtain immigration status in this country, you would walk into a lawyer's office and they said, okay, no problem. We can help you, assuming that they could. Then they would say, okay, well, you need to pay me this retainer fee of $5,000 to $10,000 up front. And then after the retainer fee is used up, I'm going to be billing you at a rate of about 300 to you know, 200 to $400 an hour, depending on you know, what color shoes the attorneys are wearing, right? So <laughs> for most people, that isn't a scenario that's going to enable them to get access to the legal system because the average person, you know, middle income working folks, you know, for most of my adult life, for example, wouldn't be able to on a moment's notice, you know, because a lot of times these are issues that you don't expect to come up. Someone just says, hey, you know what, we're done. I need to move on. You need to file a divorce or I'm not letting you see your daughter anymore because I'm concerned about drinking or, or they just, just, they get upset at you and want to block the, your ability to get visitation time or you want to establish a parenting plan between the two of you or whatever may happen, these things happen immediately without much notice, right? And people don't have the ability to save up necessarily. And, and so, you know, having to come up with $5,000 to $10,000 on a whim, it's going to be pretty difficult for most families. And so what Unbundled Legal Services does is that it allows you to retain the attorney for specific aspects of the case rather than paying the entire retainer fee up front. So if you need to file a divorce, they can help you with, for example, drafting up all the paperwork for you or advising you what documents need to be filed at the courts, advising you what happens when you file that documents, you know, what's going to happen at that hearing and coaching you to basically either represent yourself or if you want to have the attorney handling all aspects of your case, you can pay them for one segment of the case at a time, what we would call pay as you go, right? And so they're unbundling the scope of the service to each specific segment. And so you're paying for each phase of the case one step at a time. And so there's a combination of ways you can work with attorneys, but essentially it puts you in control of how much services you want to receive from the attorney and therefore how much you're going to pay and how long you choose to retain the attorney for um, instead of having to make a decision about the attorney that you're going to hire for the entire case. Right? So I can just... If I walk into one of our unbundled attorney's offices, I can sit down and say, hey, look, I need to file a response to this paperwork. I just want you to help you file the response and then get a sense for how that goes. And then if I like the way that goes, I can then retain you to represent me at the hearing or I can retain you for the temporary orders or whatever proceeds from there. So, And then also the starting fee, instead of being 5,000, is going to be more like 500 or 1,000, right? Usually it represents about a fifth or a tenth of what a typical attorney is going to charge you coming off the street. Uh, most of our attorneys begin at about five hundred to fifteen hundred dollars instead of five to ten thousand. So, um, just being able to make that difference, you know, of thousands of dollars up front—that's the major hurdle that most people have trouble overcoming. And that's really why we have about—and a lot of people don't realize this—about seventy to eighty percent of the filings in family court and many other courts as well are about people that don't have a lawyer because they can't afford it. Wow! Those are the actual statistics in the U.S. right now. 
So three quarters of the people don't have a lawyer that, that otherwise would need it because it's just too expensive. That's one of the major reasons, at least. So we're trying, we're working to, to shift that reality. That's a massive number. And so, so then these people, the idea is they come to you at Unbundled Attorney and you match them with a lawyer who can handle these needs. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's kind of twofold. Uh, obviously, we've sure. taken the last decade of building a network of attorneys that provides unbundled legal services. And, and part of our role on that side is to educate the attorneys about how to offer these options, how to do it in a way that uh, is efficient and streamlined and also thinks through all the different kinds of options that they can offer to clients and ways in which they can deliver it so that when a client does get connected to them, they understand how to offer these options in a way that the average client's going to afford. And also they can afford to do it in a way that they can keep their practice running and make money and, and do it affordably. So it's on that side. We spend a lot of time educating our, the attorneys. And then on the client side, we you know, kind of explain to people what a legal services is, how much it typically costs. And then when they come on our website, we connect them to one of the unbundled attorneys. That's part of our network that serves the area of law they need help in and in the jurisdiction or basically the county or city that they're needing help in as well. So if you're in, let's say Santa Barbara and you have a issue with a divorce, you would come to our site, you know, fill out a brief uh, submission form of like, Hey, this is the kind of case I'm working on. Here's where I need an attorney. And then the site will instantly matches them up with the unbundled attorney or one of the unbundled attorneys that serves that region, uh, serves Santa Barbara County and, and divorce. This is clearly a massive shift from the way that traditionally law firms operate. So do you encounter a lot of resistance when sharing this model with established firms? What's the reaction you typically get? I think it's a general trend in law that they are pretty resistant to any change at all, any differences in the way that they're practicing. But you know, at this point, the marketplace is beginning to demand it because that 60 to 70 to 80% number, it's about 70% on average, didn't exist 20, 30 years ago. It was more like 1%, right? So there's been a substantial change in the market of how many people are going unrepresented in this country. 2008 was a contribution. I mean, the average family is living check to check or is in debt. I think the statistics were something like something in the 40 percentile, like 45% or more of average Americans are on government receivership right now in some way, shape, or form, disability, workman's comp, people are, are struggling. You know, everyone looks at the stock market and goes, hey, yeah, you know, things are, you know, all-time record highs. Things seem to be going well. This is a recovery. But, you know, these are the folks we talk to every day. Middle-income America is, is still got it pretty tough. And that's represented in the amount of folks that aren't able to access, you know, attorneys, you know, right now. So, I think the attorneys are feeling it too. Um, they don't have the same number of clients, you know, walking in the door that you know are ready to drop, you know, five figures on beginning their case right away. And so they're looking for ways to adapt. They're looking for ways to provide service. I mean, most lawyers that went to school, at least initially, had a desire to want to serve and make a difference the for the average person. They want to make a lot of money, but they also want to help a lot of people. So it's about finding the the attorneys that seem to have their hearts open to want to make a difference and want to help people and also have a, a mindset that's a little bit more modern and adaptive and are willing to 
implement some new options in their practice that maybe they hadn't considered before. Unbundled legal services is still a somewhat new concept. I mean, it's been around for 20 years, but has only been really become more popular, you know, in large part due to, you know, some efforts of some people I work with um, and, or, or I'm associated with on doing some national trainings on unbundled legal services and so forth. You know, it's really only become more known in the last three to five years. Um, we were educating attorneys about unbundled services before anyone really knew what it was. And so it's still relatively new concept, but starting to, to gain some traction. So we just, it's just a matter of, you know, finding the one out of 20 or one out of 50 of lawyers that, you know, wants to make a difference and is willing to implement these options in their practice. And when they do, it works really, really well. Um, we just have to find the, the open minds to it. Yeah. So does their drive to implement this need to be purely altruistic or are attorneys able to offer unbundled services in a way that also increases profits by gaining that market share? It's, it's the second. Yeah. If they, if once they actually understand how to deliver unbundled services, either on a pay-as-you-go or task-by-task basis, and also it, it helps to have some legal technology that helps to make some of the tasks they have to do on every single case over and over again, such as data entry or intaking, you know, client's name, date of birth, you know, that kind of stuff through the intake process, putting that information then into a document, having that, you know, if you can streamline some of those things where that information is filled out by the client, it's submitted through a questionnaire online, that then auto-populates into a database, that database can then auto-populate the forms there isn't any degradation of the quality of law. These are just rote tasks that have to be done each time that takes you know, a bunch of time to do if you don't have systems to do that. So once attorneys learn you know, how to do, implement basic systems that streamline a lot of this stuff, then it actually becomes more profitable for the firms to offer unbundled legal services and you know, payment plans and more adaptive payment solutions, uh, service options for their clients than it would if they were only offering the traditional retainer. And that's really the most exciting part about it. Because if you, you know, if, if we, if our solution for the problem of access to justice in this country was, well, we're just going to convince more lawyers to volunteer their time. That's probably not going to be a sustainable solution to this problem. Whereas what we found is that when attorneys actually implement unbundled legal services effectively in their practice, they become significantly more successful financially and also can serve, you know, substantially more clients than they otherwise would. So when you see that kind of a win-win where the attorneys are doing better financially as well, and they're providing services to, to way more people than they otherwise would, then that's what, you know, really gives us a lot of encouragement. This is something that could go uh, much further and much broader and have a much further, greater impact than anyone really initially imagined. Mm-hmm. I experienced some of the things you're talking about just recently. In the last couple months, I had to find a lawyer for the first time. And I was really amazed by how you know manual and kind of archaic the process was of becoming a client, even though this is you know a massive law firm in Chicago. I was having to, you know, print out papers and sign them and take a picture with my phone and email it straight to the guy. It was just crazy to me how few systems they seem to have in place. You're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) But again, that kind of goes back to it's the legal system. They're slow to change. You know, these guys have been doing it the same way for for decades and so forth. And so, but the reality is the marketplace has shifted in the marketplace. I mean, we're in a modern time. You got the internet now. You've got, you know, people on smartphones. You you know, I'm always reminded of these two photos. I think one was from like 
2006, and it's like this sea of people at the Vatican, and the Pope is, there's some kind of ceremony. I'm sorry, I'm not really up to my religion, but he's giving some kind of address, right? And there's just a sea of people at the Vatican. And then they take the same picture, I think it was three or four years later, and what you see is a sea of phones. And it's just like, wow, you know, like you look, these things are so self-evident now. Of course, you'd have a phone, but like this was a snap of a finger when it comes to the evolution of markets over the course of decades or, you know, and especially with the legal industry, when things tend to move a little slower as they are, these things have happened overnight. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of lawyers are kind of scrambling to adapt. A lot of them, you know, there's still lawyers we talk to that say, accept a credit card. What am I, a bar, a bartender? I mean, it's just like, there's, you know, we're talking about some people that have been doing the same way for 40 years and they're not interested in changing. You know, fortunately, we don't tend to work with attorneys like that, generally speaking, because it's just kind of an uphill climb. But yeah, I mean, they have to adapt just like everyone else has. And they tend to be a little slower to adapt than others. But the ones that do and the ones that we work with and so forth have been really great about implementing new systems and finding, making it a little easier for people to access and enroll for in attorney services to be able to get communication back and forth, to get up-to-date text messages and reminders and and informational videos and training and you know things that people can use to to better handle their cases. So there's so much exciting things that are coming about as a result of this age, but it just takes some time to for lawyers, especially, to implement them. How was Unbundled Attorney born? You know, what was your journey like from that first job in the legal industry to starting this company? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's a it's a long story, so I'm not sure how how detailed, but I'll give kind of the the snapshot. So when I work for Prepaid Legal, they offer a membership where people pay a monthly fee. And then that gives them access to a big full service law firm in their state that can you know, give them advice over the phone, that can review a document up to a certain number of pages, represent the first speeding ticket. And so it's, it's a good service and resource for people that want legal advice, want to get a question answered, want to understand their rights in different, different scenarios. The problem is when you go to the point where you actually want to retain an attorney, these plans uh, offer a 25% discount, generally speaking, off of the, the provider's you know, law firm's standard hourly rate or, and standard retainer. And so, okay, 25% off, that's nice. But if, if the lawyer's typical retainer fee is $5,000, and now because of the discount, it's $3,750 or $4,000, great, but that still doesn't make the difference for the average family. And that was really who we were always focused on in the very beginning was how do we give these families that are in a position where they need to retain an attorney but don't have five to 10 grand, a solution that can give them access to the system and access to legal help that they otherwise couldn't afford. And prepaid legal just wasn't really making the difference. And neither was any legal access plans at the time that we had re-looked into. And so it kind of evolved to the point where we eventually uh, had to start our own legal access plan where we're offering you know a 40% discount, a 125 an hour, 125 or 40% off did that for some time. That wasn't working. That, that worked for some cases and, and, and helped a lot more people, but there were still a lot of people that just said, hey, I still can't do 2,500. You know, do you have a solution that's before? And so what we started doing was referring them to attorneys that would be open and willing to, if they, did, they couldn't afford the full representation, they would just draft their paperwork for them and give them some advice. So it was kind of a flat rate solution. Usually the attorneys would charge you know, about 500 to to $1,000 
They draft up all the paperwork for them. This would be family court, right? Prepare their petition, write their written argument, and then give them you know, a little bit of advice on how to file and, and get prepared for court and deliver it as a flat rate that was you know, maybe 500 to 1,000 bucks. And that worked extremely well because you know, we the attorneys would give them the option to do it in a few payments. And uh, that, you know, being able to get an attorney that, to advise you on your case, draft up your arguments and reasons why you feel it's in the best interest of your child to be living with you or you know, to get visitation time that you see fit or whatever it is that you're seeking in your, in your case, have an attorney advise you, prepare it for you, get it into the appropriate forms so you're not making mistakes, helping you understand the procedure, then filing it according to the, the procedures, and then giving you some guidance on what, everything that's going to happen next. That was a huge help that most lawyers would not provide at all. There was no unbundled services in those days. So that made a huge difference for a substantial number of people. Talked to 20 people in the past. We might be able to get them an attorney at a discounted rate for maybe three or four of them. When we started offering that unbundled document service, we were looking at you know, closer to you know, 30% or 40%, so maybe like six, seven, eight, nine, or 10. So it was already making a huge difference. Later on in that, in that evolution of that and in working in the attorney resources department, when again, this is kind of a long story short, um, I started to identify attorneys in specific regions where we would just refer to them. They would offer the, the discounted rate uh, and it wasn't even an unbundled services attorney and they would seem to be able to help every single client we sent them. And I didn't really understand at the time what was going on, but I said, well, look, we, we, they would just be established as what's called go-to attorneys. And a go-to lawyer meant like if someone signed up in, in Everett, Washington, we knew that Kimberly Brown was there and it didn't really seem to matter if the person had 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. If we sent them over to Kimberly, she was going to find a way to help them out. And it was like, wow, that's so great, right? So every single client, almost 100% of the clients we would send to Kimberly, she'd help them. She'd find a way. And we said, well, what the heck is it that Kimberly's doing that these hundreds of other lawyers are not doing such that she can help these people and seems to be doing very well financially at the same time? And what we discovered was is that she was offering these unbundled services, but actually doing it in practice and not just providing document services, but preparing paperwork, making a limited appearance, uh, offering payment plans where they would pay, people would put 500000 down and pay about $200 a month or $300 a month on a payment plan. She'd represent them that way or she'd work with people on a pay-as-you-go, like we're doing one phase at a time. So people only had to pay for one segment and so forth. And just tailoring the service options to the people's budget based on what they needed and providing the amount of services according to their financial needs. And so, you know, the question was arose, well, if we can find these go-to attorneys in these certain areas, what if we were to create an entire network of attorneys offering these unbundled services where, because if we could somehow duplicate this go-to statistic, where if I have 20 clients and I send them to any other full service attorney, we'd be able to help maybe 10% of them, maybe a little bit better, three or four. If I could send those same 20 clients to, to Kimberly Brown at, at the time, and she listens to this in the future, she'll laugh, but <laughs> then we could help 15 to 18 of those, right? And these are the average folks. These are the folks that are part of the statistic of the 70%, 80% of people that are going unrepresented. Maybe one or two of those people could actually afford at a discounted rate, but through an unbundled services attorney, 15 out of 20 could get help, right? So if you can imagine, if we could change the number from three out of 20 to 15 out of 20 of the 70% of people that are going unrepresented right now, and we can break that, we can spread that across the entire country with a whole network of lawyers that can provide these services and have that same difference in the accessibility of legal services for those people, 
then we would be standing in a position where we could completely transform the accessibility of legal services in North America. And so that was kind of like the big picture, like, hey, we just need to get go-to lawyers, these unbundled attorneys in every city all across the country. And I started that journey on my own back in 2012, 2011, 2012, starting to build our kind of our own attorney network. And I also evolved the model so that people no longer had to pay twice. They didn't have to pay for a membership to a service and then pay the lawyer for the service. We, I brought on a business partner who built out a platform where people could just come to the site, request help. Then we evolved the model where the attorneys now pay a small fee for each client we send them because they're the ones that are getting paid for the service and the client doesn't have to pay us anything. It makes the service free. Yeah. It was just the number of people that you're able to help and open up this this whole world to them that otherwise they wouldn't have access to. And really you're transforming families. I mean, the ability for, you know, a parent to be able to, you know, win rights to see their child when before they, you know, might not be able to just because they weren't able to navigate the system by themselves. That's remarkable. So, so I'm curious, Dave, how did you first get the inspiration to turn Unbundled Attorney into a for-purpose business? You know, of course, it already is in, in many ways just by nature, but how did the idea for the foundation come apart? At the end of the day, if we could shift the accessibility legal services for 15 out of 20, that'd be pretty amazing, right? We'd be really excited about that. And, you know, if you took that 70%, what is that, uh, you know, three quarters of the 70%, that'd bring it down to maybe only... 25% of people not receiving the access to an attorney. But, you know, my goal would be closer to 100%, right? And so we're always like, well, what about those extra five? Like, how could we find a way to help those people too? They literally have no money. They're just indigent, single moms, single dads. Maybe they, the, other, the other party was the breadwinner. They've just been left or something, something else has happened. There's abuse. Or they're just, they're on receivership. Like most people, they just don't have any money at the end of the day and they don't have access to it how do we provide services to them as well? We've thrown on a lot of different ideas, but I was exposed to the idea of creating a for-benefit, for-purpose company through a conference that you and I met at, which is the Thrive Conference. I think the website's attendthrive.com. And this is a conference that's dedicated to entrepreneurs that are committed to making a difference um, by, I mean, a lot of different ways, but uh, mainly building a business that does well financially, but also has built into it a for-benefit component. And obviously, this is probably something you've talked about in your podcast a lot, but you know, where you know, as the company sells a product or makes a deliverable or provides a service, there's a giving component tied to it, right? Like Tom's being the obvious example. You, know, you, give a, you buy a pair of shoes, give a pair away. That was really intriguing to me for a number of reasons. Number one, I wanted to participate in the conference because I wanted to be around entrepreneurs that actually cared about making a difference and would even consider the idea of like, hey, like, what if we also, like, had a giving component as part of our business, right? Like, then we could help all these people. That's an interesting group of people that I would want to get to know and be a part of and associate with, right? And then second of all, we started to think, well, look, maybe we can implement this business into our model so that we could take, you know, a certain amount of money for every single lead that we generate. And then what would we do with that money, right? Well, okay. So we started looking at different organizations that were out there. And as far as I'm concerned, if I want to take money and, and give it, away for those purposes of providing legal services, I want that money to go directly to paying lawyers to represent folks that otherwise couldn't afford it. I don't want it to go to bureaucracy. I don't want it to go to paying a bunch of employees. I, I don't know. I, I just, there's a lot of companies, organizations out there 
where only a very small percentage of the money that you give to that organization actually goes to direct relief for the people that they're serving, right? And I think everyone knows that that's true. I don't need to mention any organizations, but that's just the reality. And when I was looking in the legal industry, there's a lot of great organizations out there. But as far as I could tell, I, did, I didn't come across organizations that were just taking average folks and delivering services for free or donation-based. And so we said, and we looked around, and there, just, there weren't any clinics or anything like that. So our idea is to establish this foundation. A percentage of our fees are going to be going from every fee that the lawyers pay for each of our clients that we send them is going to go into this foundation. And then the foundation is going to be funding the establishing of the very first, as far as I know, uh, donation-based unbundled legal clinics in the United States. Um, we're starting with uh, Oklahoma City. That's going to be the very first city we're opening up uh, the spring of next year. And people are just going to be able to come in and pay and receive you know, a, a full suite, excuse me, not a full suite, uh, receive unbundled legal services from an attorney that's being paid on salary full-time to, to sit down with those clients for you know, 30 minutes to an hour and help them with their documents, prepare their paperwork, advise them what the next steps are, and get them out the door with all the, everything they need prepared so they can go and file and, and proceed with their case and make the fee whatever they can afford to pay. And that'll be fully funded by our, our four benefits side and then also jointly funded by the, the firm the firm we're going to be starting the first one with such that all the, any services that someone would receive through the clinic will already have been paid for and any donation that they're putting into the, the clinic would actually be for the expansion or the hiring of more attorneys or, or the acquisition of more space to help even more people that are otherwise serving. So this is an effort in which I think if we could have clinics in every city, granted, it's, it's a long-term view. We're starting with one. If one works, we'll go to two. If two works, we'll go to five. If five works, we'll go to 20 or beyond. Um, then people would be able to receive you know, the, the unbundled and full service options from the law firm or the attorney, the unbundled attorney. And if they can't afford that, they'd have a clinic where they can at least receive unbundled services on a, on a donation base to get through the process and get some help from an attorney, even if they can't afford, you know, the few hundred dollars for the, for the full service. Well, it's amazing to me that, you know, you not only made this decision to incorporate a for-purpose element into your business, but when you didn't see an organization that you felt was aligned with what you were looking for, you decided to go and create that yourself. And if, you know, everyone took that proactive approach, it's it's really mind-boggling the impact that businesses could have. So I definitely commend you for, for doing that. Now, I'm curious, Dave, are there any specific stories of people who have used unbundled legal services that have especially touched your heart or really motivated you to keep pushing for your company's mission? You know, the, the stories that come to mind are actually the, the stories of the attorneys we've worked with the most. I don't have as much, I mean, for years and years and years working for a prepaid legal and then our own legal access plan, you know, I've talked to tens of thousands of clients. But what drives me today is the feedback that our attorneys give about how it's changed their practice, how it's reinvigorated and re-sparked their passion for the law, their passion for serving people that they otherwise couldn't find a way to do. I think a lot of lawyers are not happy about the fact that they have to turn these folks away because their firm requires a five to $10,000 retainer up front. And we see a lot of attorneys that are coming to law school or otherwise we're seeing themselves predestined to work for a corporate law firm or, you know, work within these requirements. And every day they have to turn away clients that desperately need legal services that, uh, you know, their, their firm hasn't adapted themselves to be willing to provide to. So, 
it's been exciting to see them, you know, really getting passionate about providing services to people that otherwise couldn't afford it. And also seeing them have a lot of success in doing that. You know, I think there's some stigma <laughs> or some myth in, in financial belief systems that if you're doing really well, good services and, you know, a great service to the public, that somehow you shouldn't be accepting or getting paid really well for that. You know, teachers come to mind, uh, you know, educators and stuff. It's like, oh, well, that guy's making really, really good money. So whatever he's doing must not be like that sound, right? And I just don't think that's true. I think, you know, the, the people that actually have the greatest impact on our, on, our, on our public and service goods should actually make the most money. It's just twisted in that way that like somehow, you know, act, actors and actresses and sports stars are the ones that make money in our culture. And so it's really exciting to see really good-hearted lawyers that that seems like an oxymoron, but we, we, you know, we find the ones that really do have a good solid heart having a great deal of success, serving so many people that otherwise wouldn't be able to receive service and doing really well financially as a result. That's really exciting because that tells me that what we're doing is sustainable. It's scalable. It's doing good for the client. It's doing good for the attorney. It does good for us. And so that means that everything that we have in store for the years to come is just a matter of exposure, education, and continuing to do what we're already doing. So I think that's when you see things working well and everyone having success as a result, I think that's probably the most encouraging thing about any business is to see it being a kind of a win-win for everyone involved. Dave, well, thank you so much for everything you shared with us today. I really couldn't be more inspired listening to this and I couldn't agree with you more and everything that you, you just shared. So unfortunately, we're running out of time. I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions and I'd like for you to respond with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? Okay. Awesome. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? Definitely my mentor in the legal access plan and prepaid legal. He was my upline originally. His name is Steve Douglas. And who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and make an impact? I think probably my mother because she's taught me the emotional intelligence, patience. I mean, she's been a therapist for 40 some odd years. You know, I, I am the person I am because of her and because of the way she raised us, the way we would resolve conflicts, talk everything through, I had to make it on our own. I mean, it's just, yeah, I think a lot of my compassion and empathy and also growing up without a father, you know, uh, you know, I can, I really empathize with parents that want to be involved with their kids. I'm like, I'm kind of a, an advocate for them. I always have been because it's like, cool. Like you want to be involved. Like I didn't have a father that had that same degree of interest. And so it's really, I enjoy and get a lot out of, helping parents that want to be involved with their kids because I think it's a beautiful thing. Kids need their parents. And even if they're separated, that's something that just came out of my upbringing and, and kind of, I think that's on some level, I feel really served in serving them and accomplishing what they want to do for their kids. When you're having a bad day or you find yourself in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of that funk? Uh, a couple of things. I play some golf. That would be one. Uh, definitely passionate about competitive golf. So go practice. Um, I'm also in love with my journal. I've kept a journal since 2007. Jim Rohn taught me to keep a journal back when I was uh, listening to his DVDs and, and audiobooks back in the mid 2000s. And so I have a journal since 2007. I got stacks of them, uh, which is really you know a place where I can kind of go and just lay down my thoughts and ideas and and what the heck is going on? Why am I so bothered? What, what, what do I need to work through? What are solutions? 
to this, that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a nice place to, to, to go and, and to have some reflection time. I think those are probably the two main things. What book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? Yeah, it's a book called The Slight Edge uh, by Jeff Olson. Anyone that's beginning on the path of personal development or recognizing that, you know, I need to learn new skills in order to become a better person. I need to, you know, for things to change, I have to change. You know, these types of things that Tim Rhodes talks about too. There's a kind of a, a modality or a philosophy that helps you do that. And that's just learning how to make, do little things every day that don't seem to make a difference in, in, the doing, in, the, in doing of them. But over time, actually eventually to really significant results and a complete overhaul of your entire being and who you are as a person. And that's, you know, reading books and listening to audios and so forth. But Slide Edge talks about and gives you the philosophy of remembering that the little things that you do every day, the little habits that you implement, like reading a book before you go to bed, reading just 10 pages or not watching television or not exposing yourself to a lot of the toxic information that's out there and really being vigilant at, at the gate of your own philosophy and what you're exposed to every day really sets yourself up for some long-term you know, quote-unquote success or to achieve what it is you're seeking to achieve. So it's really a nice starting book that I've had a lot of my friends that maybe weren't on the path, but maybe saw some success of what we were accomplishing or something like that. Say, hey man, like, how do I get started? Like, where do you even begin to like shift the course? And I found the slide edge to be a really good starting point. And then there's tons of books and information that evolve from that. But once someone has that philosophy, it seems like it stems automatically from there. And then lastly, what is the best piece of advice related to success that you would give our listeners? Well, uh, this one is probably not what most people want to hear, but you know, I haven't watched television in 15 years. I've been off social media for an entire year. I don't have a Netflix account. I spend very little time on YouTube. I've never had a Netflix account. <laughs> the time that you have after your job, you know, Jim Rohn used to talk about it. It's you work full-time on your job, part-time on your fortune, full-time on your job, part-time on your fortune. And then one day you might be in a position where it could, it's going to be exciting when you can work full-time on your fortune. Right. But th- those are those hours, those you get up, you get off work and you're tired. I mean, I built, you know, my first co- my first lead generation company myself between the hours of like 7 PM and 12 midnight or one in the morning. Cause I didn't have a TV in my house. I wasn't getting distracted with, watching endless streams of new Netflix thing. There's this, I guess they call it like binge watching somewhere. I'm just, I just, like those platforms are designed to suck away time. Mm-hmm. And the only way, you know, and some people say, well, it's for entertainment. Everyone needs to a little bit of entertainment, but you have to look at the way you feel after you've spent a whole lot of time on those platforms. And do you feel good in your self-esteem? I found for me, anytime I would use YouTube and I'd go down the YouTube Rabbit hole. Yeah. Rabbit hole. And I look at the time and it's been an hour or two. I always felt bad about myself. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like, hey, you know what? I could have used that time to read a good book, to write in my journal, to talk to people I care about, to work on my businesses or my enterprises and build my lifestyle, build what I want to accomplish out of it. And inevitably, those platforms are designed to suck away your time in those ways. And people are like, well, I watch good channels. Well, what, at the end of the day, do you get that feeling? And I certainly did. So, so my advice would be vigilant about the use of these platforms because they can literally suck away your dreams. They can suck away your usefulness on this planet. And, and so I've, you know, I've had to almost basically eliminate all of them from my life in order to, you know, Elon Musk said something on a recent interview. He said, 
it's very challenging to be truly useful in this world. It's, in fact, human beings' greatest challenge. How can you be really useful? And in order to do that requires a great deal of commitment of time, energy, and effort. And you can't do that if you're spending 80% of your available excess time on Netflix, in front of a television, or on social media. That's my personal opinion. So that would be my, my invitation is for people to look seriously about how much time they're spending on their platforms. Is, you know, I mean, they may not be able to cut the cord, but they certainly need to find a way to get more disciplined about it because it's that extra time that is literally for them to build their lifestyle and their future that they can carve away from those. I couldn't agree more. Well, Dave, as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. Could you tell us what organization you are nominating and why? Yeah. So I guess I'll nominate uh, Claire's Place Foundation for a number of reasons. Number one, I got to know Claire. She was the benefactor of the last two Thrive conferences. And she's built an organization. (laughs) It's not an organization. It's volunteers of people. And the money that goes to Claire's Place Foundation goes 100%, 100 to families that have children of cystic fibrosis and can't make ends meet because they have to go to a job or they need to be there for their child. And there's you know, so many different cascading expenses that come, of course, with a child that has cystic fibrosis. And so this is a fund that helps to support families through you know, dealing with this debilitating disease. And I love to see organizations that, obviously she was passionate as someone that has cystic fibrosis, um, but is really devoted to making sure whatever funds go directly to the people that are in need and she's, I've, you know, I had really long conversations with her after hours at the events when she was alive because she passed away recently. And that was her commitment. It was her heart. And so I love to see people that want to give back in those ways. Yeah, I was so inspired listening uh, and learning about Claire's foundation at the Thrive Conference. And I know the final day of the conference was actually the day of her memorial. And I really don't think there was a dry eye in the room when Cole was talking about that. So I'm really thrilled to hear you nominate uh, her organization for your episode. Yeah. So lastly, Dave, before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, of course, about Unbundled Attorney and to follow your content? Well, this one's tough, right? Because I don't use social media, right? So most (laughs) people throw out their Twitter or their Facebook or their Instagram, um, and I don't have one. So I guess for those that are interested in receiving legal help through our organization, they could go to unbundledlegalhelp.com. That's basically the request form, the site that we use currently for clients to get access to our network. And you can choose the area of law you need help in and then submit a request there. As far as following my work, I, I don't know. How to, I still don't know how to answer, how to answer that question because yeah. there really isn't a way. There really isn't, other than my personal email, and I don't, I don't usually give that out. So, well, Dave, it has been such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. You're welcome. Happy to be here, and, and thanks for having the show. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. 
The second way you can participate is absolutely free, and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.